This podcast is brought to you by The Empowerment Project. Research proves that empowerment self-defense training makes you safer, period. I want you to have a great self-defense toolkit so you can create strong boundaries, speak with confidence, and take up all the space that you deserve in the world. We'll hear stories from survivors and find out what worked for them and why. We'll interview leaders in the field and talk about tips, concepts, and really easy things that you could do to make yourself safer and interrupt the cycle of violence. I've taught self-defense classes for over 30 years, and I promise to teach you everything I know. Ultimately, I'm going to want you to get some in-person training, but a great empowerment self-defense class is more than just the physical skills. The list of things I want to teach you is endless, so let's get to it. My name is Sylvia Smart, and welcome to The Empowerment Project. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I am very excited to be talking today with Martha Thompson, who's been involved with Impact Chicago for over 30 years. Most recently, Martha was the senior lead instructor there, but she just retired. So congrats for that, Martha. Why, thank you very much. You're welcome. And I use retired in quotes because I'll tell you all what I mean by that in just a second. But um, as an intro, I applied to the National Women's Martial Arts Federation for certification as an empowerment self-defense instructor, and gratefully and wonderfully, Martha became one of my mentors, and what a gift she is. Martha has an academic background and has also dedicated her life to this work. I asked her to come talk to us specifically because she has a very clear perspective about what the differences are between kind of regular self-defense and empowerment self-defense, which I harp on all the time on this podcast. But what's the difference? We're going to talk to Martha about that. Martha is also a really great person to talk with about the many connections between empowerment self-defense and the social change and social justice movements that are a huge part of our culture today. So, Without waiting any longer, let's get started. Welcome, Martha. Thank you. Love having you here. Love having this time to talk with you and find out more about your story and your journey. So thanks um, in advance. And before I start bombarding you with questions, I want to congratulate you first, because not only are you, quote, retired, um, but you're also the brand new National Women's Martial Arts Federation Self-Defense Coordinator. So woohoo! Tell us what that means. Well, what that means is that I serve on the board of the National Women's Martial Arts Federation, and I'm working with a lot of very delightful folks who are working very hard on behalf of the Federation. And my bailiwick is really to focus on self-defense. Um, and even though, and, and also I think that means how that works with the whole Federation. So it's not like we're an island, you know, it's really working as part of uh, the whole Federation. And uh, there are things like uh, the annual conference, a model course, 
the certification process, um, just really all all the things that come under that self-defense uh, label. I'm I'm coordinating, but I'm totally relying on collaboration with uh, people who have been involved with the Federation for a long time, trying to draw in new people. So it's, even though I have that title, I see it very much as a representative of a, uh, just representative of a large collective of people who are very dedicated to teaching empowerment self-defense. Thank you for that work. Because it seems like uh, the more I learn that this, Empowerment Self-Defense is a movement, and the National Women's Martial Arts Federation is one body, which is, how do I want to say this? They're creating boundaries around good practices and what that looks like. Yes. Which is great because we have, you know, in so many ways, this has been sort of a movement. This is my understanding. And it's great to have guidelines. Yes. Yes. I think that that is the goal. And I, I think not uh, restrictions, I don't see so much, but much more, uh, again, a collaborative effort to try to figure out what is empowerment self-defense all about? You know, what are our commitments? What are our ethical code? What are our best practices? Um, and I think you know, NWMAF is really, uh, is, is, I guess, the, the ground upon which so much of the this, this kind of focus on empowerment self-defense has really uh, uh, just developed and, and thrived. Uh, when I first started going to the camp, it was, in fact, there was a self-defense focus, and that's what drew me to it, because I was self-defense instructor before I started studying martial arts. And um, it's just been something over, you know, that was, I started in the early 90s, and there were already people, of course, teaching self-defense. And I feel like it was really a collective effort to try to figure out what we, what were we all doing? What was it about what we were doing that distinguished uh, our, our practice from the martial art that many of us were practicing? And so it's been really very exciting. And I think this evolution of collaboration and sharing is, is something that is continuing, not only through NWMAF, but other organizations, too. Exactly. There are a lot of people who come together around this. And your your point kind of segues into my first real question for you, which is based on this phenomenon that for the most part, people who become empowerment self-defense teachers have an ongoing relationship with a martial art. So You've talked a little bit about that, but I'd love to hear, I'd love to kind of pull back and start with you at the beginning of your journey. I'd love to hear what inspired you to get involved with self-defense and with empowerment in the first place. Where were you? What were you doing? What was happening? And what was it that made you sit up and pay attention? 
Great question. Um, I think the roots, I, I, the root of my passion was really many years before uh, I got directly involved. But I was um, a student at Kent State University and got involved in the women's liberation movement. And I had certainly been involved and connected and observing, uh, experiencing what other organizations or other movements, uh, Black Power, Civil Rights, uh, Anti-War, the Student Movement, the Ecology Movement, and had observed uh, that that people needed to be able to protect themselves from verbal and physical uh, intrusion, I guess I would say. Uh, and so when I started with, uh, on behalf, or got involved in this women's liberation group on Kent State's campus, I, I thought, gosh, I, I think I need to know how to protect myself. Now at that time, I mean, I, I looked through the, the course schedule and that's when I discovered karate. And I also had, um, read, uh, read Susan Brown Miller or Susan Brown Miller. I mean, uh, Morgan's sisterhood is powerful. I mean, I had read Brown Miller's work sometime in there, not by then, but anyway, I, I had this idea that karate was something, uh, that I probably needed to do just figuring out the physical protection. So I did a, a, a karate class in 1970 and did realize the value of, of feeling powerful from that experience. So many years later, I think almost 20 years later, 18 years later, um, when a friend of mine recommended that I take a unique self-defense course that she had just taken, where you had the opportunity to do scenarios with somebody wearing body armor and could do full force work. Um, I, I went to a demonstration that she recommended. And when they said, is there a volunteer? Uh, are there any volunteers to come up and uh, knee this guy in the groin? I, my hand was shooting up, you know, but the brain was, hadn't even thought. It's just my hand went up. Like what's not to and, love about that? <laughs> right. Right. But as it turned out, there weren't really even that many people who volunteered, but I, I did, I went up there and it, it was exhilarating. It was exhilarating. And I, I immediately signed up for the next course and, um, it fits so much. You had mentioned earlier that I'm an academic. Well, I have been, uh, by that time, probably already I think I started teaching, I, my first uh, college teaching work, was, I think I was 23. So maybe for almost 20 years, I had been an academic. At that time, I was a professor of sociology and women and gender studies at Northeastern Illinois University. And so I had, was already continuing the let's see, the engagement I already had with trying to create social justice. Primarily, my focus was on women and girls, but I certainly already saw the connections 
with uh, work around, you know, anti-racist work, um, really anti-oppression work of, of many different kinds. So this just seemed like an extension, uh, an extension and a deepening of the work that I was already doing in an academic classroom, where the focus, of course, is on what people think. And I don't know if those roots were, uh, or my being drawn so much to the physical aspects was because of that empowerment I had felt when I took karate or, uh, you know, I loved to climb trees when I was a kid. I mean, I wasn't an athlete, but I definitely had an interest in physical work. But when I was asked if I would be interested in helping the Chicago group offering this course to develop a college course, it just seemed like a perfect fit for me to become an instructor. Um, even though, as I say, I wasn't an athlete, I wasn't a martial artist, but I definitely felt a connection, a deep connection to having an opportunity to not to, to participate in and then also to be teaching something that brought together uh, you know, really body, mind, spirit, I guess is one way to put it. But I really saw uh, self-defense as a place for me to bring together lots of my interests and commitments. And so I think that's how I, uh, I, I saw it as part of a, just a very natural evolution in my life and the direction I was already moving in. Right. And you, so you spent 30 years at Impact Chicago. Yes. How did, is that where you learned how to teach self-defense or were you, I mean, you're already a professor and you're actually helping develop self-defense classes on a college campus. So I guess that's good training too. Well, <laughs> but talk, talk a little bit more about like that part of it. Uh, in terms of the training part. Well, I, at that time, and that was a very short very short-lived. At that time, um, there was the, the the roots of impact in where I did my initial training was with uh, uh, model mugging, which had up until I think that the late 80s really had been primarily focused in California or certainly on the West Coast. But there had, for a short period of time, there there was this organization that really brought in people from around the country to do a very intensive uh, training on developing the, the skills and the background and very much more. It wasn't just physical training, but it was really dealing with the emotional aspects, the socialization aspects, many, you know, very deep, very wide uh, approach to teaching self-defense. So not just striking and kicking. Um, so when I agreed to be in and uh, that I wanted to go on that path, uh, Impact Chicago, well, they weren't, it was not Impact Chicago at that time. It would have been model mugging Chicago at that time, uh, then supported my application to go to this national 
training that was in Monterey, California. And so that's, that's what I did. And the process at that time, and pretty much it's continued, is, you know, doing this very intense training and then being, uh, you know, mentored by uh, an experienced uh, instructor and instructors, really, in my case. And uh, that was really the process. So I did this intensive training and then there was follow-up co-teaching and then there was follow-up supervised training. So that was sort of that path of the instructor path. And because I was already an experienced teacher um, and felt quite comfortable in, in front of people, I was, it was really just a matter of my learning how to teach self-defense. I already, I think sometimes a challenge can be is when people are learning to teach as well as learning the skills. Um, and I felt like m- primarily for me, it was uh, learning the particulars of this, of, of self-defense and bringing in, of course, my own background and experience in uh, empowerment work. That's awesome. And then, so as you worked with Impact Chicago, what became Impact Chicago? Are you teaching still at university level and you're doing these two things side by side? Well, I did for many years, not, you know, right at this moment, but yes, yes. So I was a a professor uh, for, I'm trying to think how many years it would have been that, well, it was certainly... Uh, I did both for probably 15 plus years, maybe 20 years. And then I did retire uh, from my teaching. And that that was all the decision to retire when I did. I retired when I was 59. Uh, had to do with a whole lot of things that were happening at the state university level. And it just seemed like a good time to go. And I had already been teaching at Northeastern for 30 years. So, or it had 30 years of teaching experience and it, it seemed, you know, you do something for 30 years, maybe it's time to kind of take a different angle on things. So that's why I retired. And then I put from teaching and then uh, teaching at the university level, though I did continue, I was recruited uh, by another university to a uh, university of Illinois in Chicago to develop a program for their graduate students uh, in sociology who were going to be teaching. So it was a great, uh, great way in a sense to kind of end that career was doing uh, some teacher training, which I really enjoyed. It was wonderful. Um, so, so then the last, uh, what, 14 years, I've still been doing academic work, academic writing, things like that, but I have focused more of my attention on empowerment, self-defense, and Impact Chicago. Well, you are just a freaking gem. Like, it just sounds to me like <laughs> everything <laughs> everything that you've done, it, it just kind of integrates with like one thing with another. And then now you're working from this position, you know, quote, having retired, um, to 
overseeing the whole like this self-defense, this empowerment, self-defense movement and and building new instructors and making older instructors like me better. And that seems like such a natural fit for for you with all of your experience and how it, it all comes together. Well, it feels that way. And I, I'm really glad you're you are kind of putting retired in quotes because I I think uh, you know, I've been thinking about this lately is so many, I, I'm, I, I've been fortunate, very fortunate, very privileged. I recognize that in being able really my whole, almost whole adult life since I was 23 to do work that I love, that I feel like I grow, I am in collaboration with people. I, you know, just, I love, I've, Loved my academic work. I love the self-defense work. And um, so what I retire from might be a particular position, but I don't retire from the passion, the commitment, the support I want to give and receive. And I've been struck by my my spouse is a musician. I ha- no one ever asks him when he's going to quit making music. No one. And I have had to say to people, you know, who have said to me, like on their way into a rehearsal with my spouse, will say, "Why are you still working? You know, what are you? Why are you still at your laptop?" And and I found I need to say, "Well, are you asking Jim?" If he's going to quit writing songs, singing, performing, no, of course not. So I, I really, to me, retirement just means I've, I'm done doing the day-to-day work that I was doing with Impact, just as previously I, I was done with the day-to-day work with doing my um, teaching. But I'm not done you know, I'm not done with the passion, the support, the ideas, the, uh, well, anyway, I think I've made my point. <laughs> and lucky for us, and I, by the way. Well, you know, <laughs> thank you. I know people ask me, like, how long do you think you're going to be doing this? Uh, till I die. Right, <laughs> pretty right, much right, like, right, right. Um, so let's shift gears a little bit uh, and talk about, um, talk about your very clear perspective. Say I was looking into taking a self-defense class. What are some of the reasons I might want to find an empowerment self-defense class? What does this classification mean? Especially how does it contrast to a class that doesn't have this overarching concept of empowerment? How will I know the difference and what does that even mean? Yes, that's a good, uh, another kind of a good huge question. question, but it is a huge question. I'll see what I can okay. see what I can do with it. Um, I think that the beginning point for me is that with empowerment, self-defense, it's very much recognizing that people face a whole variety of situations in which 
their boundaries are violated or that they are not respected. So that I think one of the beginning points for empowerment self-defense is to recommend or to recommend, recognize that violence and boundary violation uh, are on a continuum. And I think oftentimes, and, and I've, I've certainly taken other self-defense uh, programs besides, uh, besides impact. And I enjoy, I, I want to make clear that I think it can be lots of different kinds of programs can be very exciting and kind of and fun and even feel empowering. Like that karate class I took years ago, I felt empowered, even though it was not an empowerment-based uh, karate program. And there was actually, I was only one of two women in the class, and a big part of it was humiliating, you know, trying to put the, this, uh, we two women in our place. Uh, but anyway, I think what distinguishes one of the things is that more traditional self-defense classes focus on more of what I would say toward the end of the continuum. And even impact is really uh, emerged from that focus on worst case, worst case scenario, so that the tools that are focused on are pretty much striking and kicking, getting out of grabs, things like that. That is part of empowerment self-defense, but because the continuum, the recognition, the violence is not just uh, somebody jumping out of, you know, somebody jumping out from behind a car and grabbing and you need to physically defend yourself, but that it's dealing with everyday things that are disrespectful or that violating uh, boundaries that we set that, that could be mental, physical, sexual boundaries. Like, you know, somebody constantly asking you to do things that you don't want to do or name calling or things like that. So those are like on a whole different end of a continuum than being physically grabbed where you're going to strike somebody in the face or kick them in the groin, something like that. So I think that's one of the major things that distinguishes empowerment self-defense right from the beginning is that it's not only focused on physical, uh, physical defense, of physical defense in the sense of strikes and kicks. I think physical defense to me is a thread throughout empowerment self-defense in the sense of breath, of how we, the posture in which we hold, hold ourselves so that I do see the physicality is present. Uh, that, that even when we're setting a verbal boundary, we're using our body to support and our, our voice of course is part of our physical aspect. So I think that is an immediate distinguishing thing. That makes sense. It's especially both you and I know that when I have the physical skills to knock someone out or to, to hit them hard enough that I can get away, then that fuels my confidence when I'm speaking 
even when it's lower on the continuum, even if I'm telling someone, hey, you just put me down. That is not okay. Stop it. Right. My confidence comes from a lot of different places, but it can really come from that physicality of knowing I can protect myself in that regard. So, yeah. All right. So there's this focus, what you're saying, what I think I hear you saying is there's the, the physical training, but there's a lot more than just the physical training as one example of the difference. What else would you say? Well, I think another thing, and this is something to really emphasize that I believe this is an evolving, this is an evolving field. I mean, it's not just my belief. I think uh, many people see, see this is that the language we use and uh, how we frame things is, is evolving and what empowerment means. But I do think something that within the last couple of decades, the, the idea of being trauma informed. And to me, that means now I'm talking about empowerment, self-defense of an understanding that there will be in any class we teach that, that there will be people who have experienced various forms of trauma in their life. And sometimes that can be maybe not directly, but being a witness, a witness to violence. Um, And so that when people are designing uh, a course, an an empowerment self-defense course, that is in mind, not, not in a way to say, oh, people are are not going to be able to do something, but a commitment to creating a structure and a process that creates not only a physically safe environment, but an emotionally safe, uh, or trying to aim for as safe as possible. I mean, we can't always guarantee that, you know, that everyone will feel safe, but that that is a goal to create as safe an environment as possible emotionally and physically uh, for people who are entering the classroom. So that, um, and I think how we're interpreting that or how people are expressing it in their classes is continues to be an evolving, uh, evolving thing. I think one of the things we had talked about uh, much earlier is in terms of yelling and that I think when I first started teaching self-defense, yelling, everything was yelling. It seemed like, you know, we were yelling all the time. And I think there's, there's been this recognition, not only uh, that, that yelling can be triggering for people and so to think of ways of using the voice, uh, first of all, we need to in everyday life use our voices in ways that aren't just yelling. So to work on developing a powerful voice that can even be expressed in a whisper, anything all the way up to a yell. Um, but I think where the trauma-informed comes in is recognizing that yelling may be triggering for people and creating 
a container, so to speak, or a structure or a process where people are supported and not, um, not disrespected or not, uh, to. Yes, that's it. Exactly. So we're not, it's not patronizing. It's not condensation. Yeah. It's not con, con um, so th- yes. So I think, and there, there are a whole variety of ways. I think that there are supports built in. Uh, I think not being fear-based, not fanning the, the fears uh, that people really already come in with is a big part of what distinguishes empowerment self-defense from more traditional forms. I'm thinking of a program. Uh, I was asked by a, uh, a local domestic violence organization to attend a a workshop that a organization was offering on self-defense for women who had experienced domestic violence. And they then they were offering it for free and they wanted to make it available to their clients. But they asked me if I would just go and take the class with people to evaluate it, to just see if it was something they wanted to continue. So I'm in this room with, then uh, there were children too. There were uh, uh, adults and children. And the, the whole class started off, like we never knew anybody's names really, there, which that's another important part, I think, of kind of knowing who, who's there and why people are there. But anyway, the class started off with a teacher saying, yelling, okay, you're all in danger. You're going to be hurt. Run. And people, it, it was very scary. It was yeah. like this. It, it, and the thing that I couldn't believe, I mean, first of all, emotionally unsafe, but this was a place where there were different uh, levels, like uh, people could fall. I mean, it. I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe <laughs> that this is how a class would start. And to me, that is an example of a fear-based approach. And that would just never happen in an empowerment self-defense class. Um, Yeah, never. (laughs) (laughs) Never. Because because not just is that scary, but that can like harm an already traumatized person and re-harm them. Yes. That level of fear. And, you know, I've talked, Martha, before about having, I did like, I have done like you have, which is go to a lot of different classes and and see what they're teaching and how they're teaching. And, you know, what, what, how do I feel about it? And what do I want to integrate? Or is there something there I'd love to learn about more? But I have been to classes where specifically women's self-defense classes where women leave feeling more fearful than they did when yes. they got there. And to me, that's yes. not empowerment, self-defense. It is not. It is not. Yes. Because we, I, I think anybody we talk to, uh, you know, very few people are living in some world where they think there's no danger. You know, I mean, I think, uh, yes. So I don't see that we need to fan the flames of fear. 
while also, of course, being realistic. I think that's another thing about um, empowerment self-defense is that most of us are not in danger of somebody driving up in a white panel van next to our car, jumping out, grabbing us and throwing in the, the back of the car and how to defend against that. That's okay. That may happen and would certainly want to feel that people could be prepared for that. But what most people experience is something way toned down from that. And so I think we want to address them, the worst cases uh, or those things that people are very frightened of. But I think part of empowerment self-defense is also being very realistic, that that is a very small percentage of situations that people would face. But a sexual harassment in the workplace is, is uh, now we're talking, you know, somewhere, depending on the study, 70 to 90 percent um, uh, of uh, people, women and women and girls, non-binary, trans folks experiencing uh, harassment in the workplace. So I think part of empowerment self-defense is also really uh, not generating fear, but providing knowledge. Like what are what what are we most realistically likely to experience in terms of uh, on this continuum of, of violence while preparing people to deal with a whole variety of things? But I see that as another part. So knowledge about what what's actual reality and strategies for dealing with that real reality and skill-based practice based on that reality. Yes, yes. And you know, and, and, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Wait, I'm interviewing you. <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead. I want, I want everyone to hear you. They hear me all the okay. time. Well, no, well, I, I, I really like how you, you like how you put that and that. I think you had said earlier about how you, the physical tools give your voice, you know, confidence in your voice. And I think this is related to when I look at the, um, the reports from, from folks who've been through an empowerment self-defense course, overwhelmingly what is reported is that people have used their voice. The physical yeah. tools, as you said, gave them confidence. But that that is really what most folks, after a self-defense class, empowerment self-defense class, uh, that's primarily what they end up using, is their voice. And I think that reflects you know, if we, we, if we base the skills that we're teaching on what the realities of most people's lives, the voice is going to be probably the skill that they will use the most. Right. Um, so that's part of that reality based. And I'm thinking also like, so say I'm just starting the search for an empowerment self-defense class, thinking of my listeners here, 
like you can ask questions. You can read what they write, like notice if it if the marketing is fear-based and you can ask questions like who's teaching, what's their background, do they have trauma-informed practices? Oh, you don't know what that means? Okay, well that's good to know. Or, you know, what besides physical skills are we going to talk about and learn and where do you get your research and Right, Martha? Yeah. Like, do you, yes. what are other yeah. questions somebody might want to ask before they take a class? Well, I, I think that um, just what you've, you've said are very, are very key, very important. I think um, some additional things would be to also see if you might be able to talk to people who've taken the program. Right. Um, I always find that uh, that is very useful. I think asking about, uh, things like what skills, what skills do you teach? Uh, what, what am I going to learn? Just sort of, or what are the objectives, uh, will also often reveal the, how much is really, uh, based on, or how much, let's say voice work we might do awareness, uh, I also think getting some idea of is it is there an opportunity to practice in the sense of scenarios? I think I really see empowerment self defense also having a very being very scenario based. Yeah, in the sense that you learn a skill, you talk about it, discuss it, you reflect on it, but that. I think it's it's very important for people then to be put in a situation, rather uh, you know like with with an impact, we do it. There's a professional, so to speak, attacker or aggressor, um, but there's certainly very many successful programs where it's in partner work or it's the the teacher. That but there's some way you're not just saying. Well, if somebody said that, I do that, it's you are in the situation and you say it or you do it. Right, because your adrenaline is starting to flow and your brain starts to go, (laughs) and you get the chance to practice in spite of that. Yes, yes. And I do think the adrenaline and learning adrenaline management is a really important part of uh, empowerment self-defense as well. And that's related, I think, to this, the scenario, the scenario work. Um, and so, and I, I do think that's one of the things to connect to, like we're talking about the fear-based work, uh, that part of that is just generating adrenaline. And I think that a big part of the job in empowerment self-defense is uh, folks having the opportunity to learn how to manage that you have that spike of adrenaline, but have tools uh, like using your bot, like maybe just it's how you're going to stand, that you have a way that a stance or something to do with your hands or uh, the breath that somehow uh, you've, you've learned and practiced how to manage, to, to create physical cues for yourself to begin to manage that adrenaline. And I think 
uh, that's an important an important part of this work as well. So talk to me, let's shift um, to our last sure. sort of category. Talk to me about context, how this model, this empowerment self-defense genre, um, how does it fit into the context of what's happening currently in our society? How does empowerment self-defense respond to and fit in with anti-violence movements and with social change and social justice movements that are stirring in our communities? What's that? Yeah. What's that <clears throat> look like? Well, I think, uh, I think the creativity of people to figure that out has been really exciting, exciting to me. I do, I do think for, for instance, uh, one of the things, one of the areas of empowerment, self-defense, I would say that that is is uh, blossomed or grown or is evolving, is uh, bystander intervention or bystander support. Um, that this is where self-defense is somewhat misnamed, because I what I'm seeing is people, for example, using those skills. Uh, and in teaching other people how to use the skills that we've just been talking about on behalf of other people, on behalf of creating safety in their their community and creating, uh, interrupting or uh, supporting people who are targets of, of violence. So I see the bystander work as something that uh, is grounded i th i think if if we can't take care of ourselves it's somewhat difficult to be you know a, an effective bystander but probably not impossible but i see the a bystander work is uh one one outgrowth of uh applying the empowerment self defense to social justice and social change movements and recognizing i think i i didn't didn't say this earlier but i think empowerment self defense and this is a, a a growing edge so to speak is recognizing that not all people are targeted in the same way that the social position the social location that they may have their race class gender uh, sexual orientation, disability, nationality, things like that, that those will, those uh, inter intersections, those, those combinations of social positions that each individual has affects how they are targeted for violence and how their use of self-defense might be perceived. And so I think uh, the bystander work is recognizing that 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 not uh, let's say me as a, a senior citizen, uh, a white female cisgender person, uh, my involvement even in, in a protest or just in engaging is going to be seen quite differently than a young, uh, say, a teenage African-American boy, that the dangers we face 
the risks we face will be quite different. And um, I think the empowerment self-defense work recognizes how different combinations of social locations affect our being targeted and being perceived as effective bystanders. Um, I think too, we've, I've got, we've, we have colleagues who are doing, I think, really good work around uh, protest work and working. I haven't mentioned de-escalation, which is a, a, a very important uh, self-defense skill is that it's not always uh, using, uh, you know, pushing ourselves forward, uh, which so many people think of self-defense as uh, you're hitting somebody or you're yelling at them. But I think uh, some of the social justice, social change work I see empowerment self-defense instructors uh, doing is helping people be safer when they are exercising their right to protest. Um, and so those are a couple of things I can think of. Now, I'm not sure if that's exactly what you were asking me, but. No, that is. And I think one of the things that, um, that it seems that we're all looking at is looking at the students who come to our classes who stand before us and hearing what they are dealing with in their lives and what their experience is, whether they're Black or LGBTQ or Asian or Muslim or whatever, like however you come to us, I think our, our unique goal is to look and see and hear and listen. What's your experience? What do you need? And how can we help create safety as a community? What do you think? Do you, what, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think, yes, I think, and that I think it relates to another empowerment self-defense principle is that um, we're really talking about teaching people tools and skills, not rules, right? And not do's and don'ts. Yeah. And also, I think the idea of empowerment self-defense is so much about expanding people's choices, expanding people's options and, and freedom to, to, to live, where I think traditional, uh, many traditional self-defense programs are about restriction. Don't do this. Don't do that. Where... Um, and so if we focus on these tools, the idea is not that I'm trying to tell anybody in the class because you're because you have this social status, this is what you're going to face or do or whatever. The idea is just recognizing that people will have, depending on their combination of social locations, will have different experiences, but they're the best judge of what they need to do in a situation. And so our job is to provide as many tools as possible that people can figure out for themselves, given their knowledge of themselves, the, the person who uh, they're interacting with, the situation, that they can figure out which tool is a, a, uh, appropriate for the moment. 
And so I think uh, this is where I feel like empowerment self-defense is much better suited in a sense uh, for a whole variety and diversity of people because we don't need to tell people what they're going to experience. They know what they're going to experience. And we're providing tools that they can choose to uh, draw upon to keep themselves safe and as free as possible. Oh, thank you. Thank you for for this time to talk with you about this thing that we both are obviously kind of passionate about. And yes. <laughs> thank you for continuing the work even as you retire. And yeah. for your dedication, your history, your perspective, it's all really rich. And just thank you so much for sharing this time with me and my listeners, Martha. You really are a gem. Thank you. Oh, oh well, you are so welcome. And I, I just, I appreciate, I appreciate the opportunity. It's affirmation time. This is how I end every self-defense class. It's kind of cheesy, but it's very cool, and this is how it works. We're going to do like a little call and response. If you can say this out loud, if you can repeat after me, do it, because it's important, I think, for you to hear your own voice. But if you can't, like if you're on a crowded subway or someplace where it's embarrassing, don't worry. You can also just say it inside your head. Okay, so I'm going to say something and you're going to repeat it after me. I'm going to give you space to do that. And at the end, we're going to say yes. Here we go. Repeat after me. I am worth protecting. I love myself. I belong. I deserve to take up space on planet Earth. I am a strong and powerful person. Yes! Woohoo! And hey, as a wrap up, will you do me a favor? Will you do all the things that you do when there's a podcast? Like, will you tell your friends? Will you subscribe? Will you come back each week? Communicate with me? review this podcast, like all those things to help get more bandwidth, help more people find out about it. That would be super awesome. Take a deep breath. You are amazing. Thank you for being with me. See you next time.